Hello and welcome to Legal Frontiers, the podcast from the School of Transnational Law at Peking University, which features discussions on the intersections between law and transnational challenges and developments. My name is Stephen Minas. I'm a member of the faculty at the school. And in today's episode, we're bringing you a presentation by Dr. Oriol Cadabia on the topic of China's digital currency. Oriol is involved in the fintech space in a variety of capacities. He works as a chief strategy officer at Scallop X. He's a management consultant at AirHelp, advisor for a Hong Kong-based fintech company, and is a member of a variety of committees and associations concerning fintech, including in Hong Kong and Singapore. Today's episode begins with a presentation by Oriol on the development of China's digital yuan, and this is followed by a question and answer session. Well, so uh, basically, as, as Professor Mina said, I'm going to talk today about the digital yuan. I'm going to try to analyze what the digital yuan is and also what opportunities it brings to the greater, greater Bay Area region. Um, uh, well, about myself, uh, it's pretty much what uh, Mina said, Professor Mina said before. Uh, my name is Dr. Colibilla, and I'm working as a fintech advisor and as, as well as researcher. I'm going to start uh, summarizing the topic and uh, well, providing you with a brief introduction about myself. I don't want to talk much about uh, myself, of course. And then I'm going to move forward by talking about uh, CBDCs. Uh, I'm going to analyze what CBDCs are and what CBDCs are not, because it, this part is important as well. Then I'm going to, well, to see uh, what's the current status of uh, the CBDC projects uh, in the world right now, especially in Asia. And after that, I'm going to move forward by talking of like, the main part of our uh, session, which is the digital UI. And I think that this is by far the most uh, interesting part of all of you. And I'm going to conclude by analyzing what opportunities um, digital land may bring to the greater Bay Area, which is uh, a part uh, especially interesting for you since uh, I assume that most of you are based in Shenzhen. So that part is, of course, a key for you as well. Introduction of, of the topic. Well, as you all know, last year in April and May, the Chinese uh, government started to test the digital land. The digital yuan is also known as DCEP, Digital Currency Electronic Payment. And sometimes the digital yuan is also referred to as uh, ERMB or ECNY. So every time you see people talking about digital yuan, DCEP, ERMB, ECNY, they are actually referring to the same idea, to the same topic. So, as I said, China started to test digital yuan or DCEP last year in April slash May in four cities which are Shenzhen, Suzhou, Chengdu, and Xiongan. And those tests are currently being extended to other areas, including as well other parts of the GBA, of the Greater Bay Area, including Hong Kong and Macau, of course. The tests actually in Hong Kong and Macau are going to be very interesting because, as I'm going to explain later, are going to allow the Chinese government for the first time to test the digital yuan for cross-border payments, for cross-border transactions, which is to me, in my opinion, China's main purpose when deploying its digital yuan to use it for cross-border payments. So basically, 
before talking about digital demand, I think we need to like start from the very beginning and try to see what CBDCs are. And before talking about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, we need to talk about central bank money. Central bank money is a legal tender issued by a central bank. So in other words, it represents a claim against that central bank. So every time you use, say, um, euro, yuan, US dollar, Canadian dollar, you are using central bank money because that currency has been issued by each respective central bank. And it's a claim against that central bank. So, so far, so this part is quite, um, quite obvious. But we need to like, take it one step uh, further and see what CBDCs are. And CBDCs are central bank money, of course. I mean, according to its name, no? I mean, it's easy to see central bank digital currency. But aside from being central bank money, the main difference with the existing coins and notes is the fact that CBDCs are digital which means that they are programmable. In other words, there are some features, technical features that can be added or removed from those CBDCs, which is something that central banks cannot do with, uh, for example, uh, physical banks, physical bank uh, notes and coins. I mean, it's not possible to program those in any way, whereas it is possible to do so with CBDCs because they are digital, therefore programmable. So there are two kinds of uh, CBDCs, uh, wholesale CBDCs and retail CBDCs. Wholesale CBDCs are used or will be used to facilitate a much more efficient and uh, interbank uh, clearing uh, operations between the central bank and its member banks. While retail CBDCs are those available for use by the public at large. And those would be like equivalent to a uh, banknote. China's digital bank is more a retail CBDC rather than a wholesale one. And actually, most of the CBDC tests right now throughout the world are uh, retail CBDC tests. Even though uh, well, there was a project, for example, in Saudi Arabia and Emirates called Project Abort, where they tested uh, a wholesale CBDC. But generally speaking, we are talking about, um, about retail CBDCs. Going back to what I said before, CBDCs, a CBDC for being a CBDC, it needs to have like, two main uh, features or aspects. All CBDCs are digital, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about central bank digital currencies, and all CBDCs are a liability against a central bank. And this is so because, as I said before, CBDCs are central bank money. So these two characteristics are common in all CBDCs. Aside from that, there are some optional features that central banks may or may not add, depending on their interests, such as, for example, when it comes to holders, transparency, convertibility, Etc. It is important to remark that the way that each CBDC is going to be designed, as well as the main rationale behind each CBDC, is going to depend on each central bank's policy and interests. In other words, we cannot expect the digital yuan to be the same as or, or to look the same as the digital euro. And we cannot expect the digital euro to look the same as, let's say, the digital uh, Canadian dollar, for example. And this is so because, as I said before, CBDCs are programmable money, and they have several like, motivations behind, which means that, for example, for China, it might be useful to design its uh, digital yuan in a certain way to fulfill certain purposes, whereas, for example, in Europe, uh, the European Central Bank may be interested in, in prioritizing like other uh, technical features 
and other purposes. This is to make more sense now when we analyze uh, the possible motivations behind CBDCs. CBDCs may replace uh, physical banknotes. This is um, well, a very important motivation now during the COVID-19 pandemic because people do not want to use um, physical content notes that often to avoid getting infected. That's a, a reason, of course, but to me, it's not like, the most important one behind CBDCs. There are some other like, more technical reasons, such as, for example, uh, when it comes to monetary policy, CBDCs uh, may be an effective tool in that way. CBDCs uh, may also be a tool to improve financial stability. CBDCs may also be used uh, to prevent a financial crime. CBDCs may also be an important tool when, uh, when trying to promote financial inclusion. So as you can see, there are many possible motivations behind. When it comes to China, as I said before, and as I'm going to say it later again, to me, the main motivation behind the People's Bank of China is precisely to try to convert some of the US dollar-denominated transactions in international trade into RMB-denominated ones. Because, as you know, the RMB has never managed to, to challenge to an extent the US dollar as a main uh, currency used worldwide in international trade. So the idea behind the digital yuan is to try to tackle this issue, at least partially. And to me, that's the main motivation behind this down run. But, you know, for other countries, for example, I don't know, uh, let's say uh, eventually Indonesia or Bangladesh, even India, deploys their own CBDC. Perhaps the main motivation may be to promote financial inclusion because we are talking about countries whose unbanked population is huge. So in those cases, allowing people to access their financial system uh, much more efficiently is actually going to be something to very important to, to consider because just as a final remark about financial inclusion you know that in some countries like those that i mentioned before in the indonesia Bangladesh, people may have access to, to smartphones or even laptops what some people lack in rural areas is access to physical bank branches so in those cases a cdc same as virtual banking for example may be a very effective tool when we're fighting against uh, this uh, lack of financial inclusion so moving forward uh, CBDC should enable a cheap, secure, and real-time transfer of value, transfers of value, and should be accessible without a bank account. That's uh, the idea. Then, this part is uh, actually very important as well. As I said before, uh, we see many times in the media, uh, people uh, like making misconceptions about CBDCs. So I think there are two um, things that I need to clarify on this slide. The first one is not actually written down in, on my slide. But it's important as well. You may, you may be wondering what's the difference between CBDCs and the digital uh, money that we are already using. In other words, if my salary is paid to my bank account digitally, because you don't actually see those content notes, and then you make a bank transfer to, to pay something uh, digitally as well, using your digital banking app, and then you use your credit card to make a payment, which means that you go to a restaurant, you pay, but you've never actually taxed any note or coin. So what's the difference between those things that you're already doing and you have been doing like for years and years and ACBTC? Are we all like already using CBDCs? And the answer is no. Both ideas are different. While central bank uh, money is actually a component of the monetary base and therefore a liability against a central bank, uh, these digital transactions that you already make are nothing else but uh, debits and credits or 
pluses and minuses between uh, two different uh, providers, the banks and the payments uh, company. So in other words, it is true that every time that you get paid or use your credit card are using money in a digital way, but it doesn't mean that that is actually like a proper central bank digital currency or anything like that, because that's not a digital currency. You are simply using the money uh, through digital channels, but it's different from a CDBC. So I hope I made myself clear. And there's also like a second and important distinction to make. And this one is like a very key one. It's the fact that CDCs are not cryptocurrencies. And people tend to confuse those all the time. Even some media refer to the digital yuan as, and I saw that before, like some people said you know, China's cryptocurrency, something like that. So I mean, it's nothing to do. Because the rationale, the idea behind CDCs and cryptocurrencies is actually the opposite. So CDCs are centralized because, as I said before, CDCs are central bank money, which means that they're issued by a central bank and they represent a liability against a central bank, which means that there is this idea of control, if you want to put it this way, behind CDCs. Same as it happens like with uh, all kinds of uh, central bank money. Whereas cryptocurrencies are actually uh, part of this movement known as DeFi, decentralized finance, which means that the idea behind cryptocurrencies is precisely the opposite. Cryptocurrencies do not want to be uh, controlled. They, they want to be part of this uh, decentralized finance movement where there are like no, um, well, no organizations like central banks issuing anything. So the idea the rationale is actually the opposite. Uh, it doesn't mean though that uh, CBDCs are like the opposite technically speaking from cryptocurrencies because technically speaking, CBDCs adapt some features from cryptocurrencies. So technically speaking, yes, there are some similarities, but in reality, the rationale behind both, as I said before, is actually the opposite. Which brings us, for example, to, to, uh, to consider something that uh, might be confusing to people at first sight, but it's not actually that confusing. And it's how CBDCs and cryptocurrencies are going to coexist. And the, the answer is that, um, well, there is, since there is no relationship uh, between both uh, concepts, or uh, like no clear relationship, um, each country may adopt a different approach towards cryptocurrencies and CBDCs. And then there is no contradiction in that sense. So let me put it this way. For example, China. China, as uh, you know, and as I'm going to explain later, is of course promoting its digital yuan because it's its own like a central bank digital currency. While the Chinese government has adopted a very tough stance towards cryptocurrencies, because as you know, uh, crypto trading platforms are not uh, allowed in China, even in China, etc. So there is no contradiction in here. It's perfectly feasible and possible for China, for example, to promote its own CBDC while it, it's being tough on cryptocurrencies. In the same way that it's possible for another country to promote its own CBDC and be uh, more um, lenient and tolerant towards cryptocurrencies because both ideas are, are different. So there is no contradiction in there. And as I said before, even though CBDCs are not cryptocurrencies, there are some um, technical features that CBDCs get from cryptocurrencies. When we talk, for example, about the digital yuan, we see that digital yuan uses both online and hardware wallets, and digital yuan uses this uh, two-key architecture to secure transactions. Those two technical features are typical for cryptocurrencies and have been adapted to the digital yuan. But still, this doesn't mean that CBDCs 
add cryptocurrencies or anything like that, as I said before. See, this is a blockchain, but this part is important as well. As you know, blockchain technology is a, well, a technology that can be applied to many areas, as I'm going to say later. But many people wonder as well whether CBDCs need or not to use blockchain. Well, the answer is that CBDCs, generally speaking, don't need blockchain, but it might be compatible and useful for them to use this technology. If we look, for example, at the case of the, of the digital yuan, the digital yuan is going to operate through what we call a two-tier structure in which the People's Bank of China, which is, as you know, China's central bank, is going to issue the digital yuan to the four commercial banks, like this is the first level, without using blockchain. And then, like in the second level, those commercial banks are going to issue the digital yuan to the general public through the use of blockchain. That's the idea. So that's why, if we talk, for example, about the digital yuan, we cannot say that the digital yuan is not going to use blockchain. It's going to use blockchain just partially. And I need to make one more remark here, because there is one more confusion with some people when they talk about China. China is promoting blockchain technology. China is doing so. Actually, um, well, uh, President Xi encouraged a couple of years ago companies to, to seize the opportunities offered by blockchain. And China's central television network uh, said in 2018 that uh, to them, the creation of blockchain was actually 10 times more valuable than that of the internet. And this is so because um, in the same way that, this, that I said before that uh, cryptocurrencies are not CBDCs, blockchain is a technology whose applications are much wider than just uh, cryptocurrencies. So even though blockchain was uh, invented uh, to support the presence of Bitcoin um, like uh, 13 years ago, right now, uh, blockchain has become like a, an autonomous technology which can underpin the operations of many different um, areas. Uh, I mean, blockchain can be used to cryptocurrencies, of course, but it's also used to, to trade findings, to smart contracts, to insurance, to uh, video games, to healthcare, to uh, CBDCs, as I just saw, to supply chain management, which means that there is no contradiction in here because China is promoting its own CBDC, the digital yuan, at the same time that the Chinese government is promoting the use of blockchain technology. But what China is not promoting and is actually uh, prohibiting is the use or, or the existence of crypto trading platforms within China. So this means that China is okay with blockchain, it's actually encouraging this technology, as long as let me put it this way, it's not applied to cryptocurrencies or crypto trading platforms within China, because the problem is just with cryptocurrencies, not with the whole of blockchain technology. Uh, following this, uh, last January 16, so two months ago, China's uh, blockchain-based uh, service network, uh, GSM, outlined a plan to create this, uh, to roll out this global network that is going to support future CBDCs from multiple countries. Even though it wasn't like, specifically stated that, it's, that GSM network was designed to support the digital yuan, it's, uh, it's quite likely going to do so. So this shows you one more move uh, from China towards like, the adoption of CBDCs in general. On this slide, you can see uh, two images of the wallet apps that uh, the Agricultural Bank of China designed to support the operations of the digital yuan. I'm going to talk now briefly about uh, CBDCs all over the world before moving to the digital yuan. Uh, according to a report published by the Bank of International Settlements last year in January, 80% of central banks were already working on CBDCs to some extent. 
When I say working on CBDCs, I mean something as basic sometimes as doing some initial research. It doesn't mean that 80% of central banks are already testing their own CBDCs like China is doing. No, it doesn't mean that. It means like it means that at least they are testing initially or, or doing some initial, very initial research on this topic, on this area. But still, 80% is a very large uh, number. Um, I said before that uh, China is at the forefront of CBDCs, which is true, but I need to make some remark here as well. There is one country in the world whose CBDC has already been brought out. In this country is a small country in the Caribbean, the Bahamas. They deployed their sun dollar last October. But the thing is, given that the Bahamas is not what we call a major economy, we normally refer to China as the most advanced economy when it comes to CBDCs because, well, if we want to be more accurate, it's the most advanced major economy in the world when it comes to CBDCs because there is this case of the Bahamas. But, but still, there are some uh, current uh, CBDC projects and their status. Um, and basically, even though I said before that 80% of central banks in the world are doing some kind of uh, CBDC work to some extent, Asia seems to be by far the place in the world where CBDCs are arousing much more interest. This is so because, aside from China testing the digital yuan, we are seeing many other countries about to test their own CBDCs as well. Japan and Korea will test their CBDCs this same year. Then we also saw um, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Philippines showing interest in CBDCs as well. Um, Hong Kong, for example, Hong Kong is currently involved in several CBDC tests. Hong Kong is going to test uh, very soon the digital yuan, as I said before, for cross-border payments. But at the same time, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority is also working in this project, uh, which used to be called uh, Internet Lion Rock, with the Central Bank of Thailand. It's a project which uh, has been well, uh, rebranded uh, two weeks ago, and now it includes the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates as well, and also the People's Bank of China. So now it's like a foresight project, but it's a different project from the digital yuan. So as you can see, you know, even in places like Hong Kong, there is like one and more CBDC projects. So Asia, as I said, is by far like the place where the, the interest for CBDCs is higher. Then, as I said before, Korea and Japan are going to start testing their own CBDCs this um, year. When it comes, for example, to Japan, it's quite interesting there in their case because um, while I'm sure that same as Korea, they sped up their tests because of China. I think that maybe they, they were going to do that as well, of course, but maybe they they tried to, to rush a bit because of China being so advanced. But at the same time, Japan has already said, the number of Japan, that they have no interest in rolling out their digital yen yet. They're just like trying to test it as soon as possible this spring to test whether it is feasible for, not, for them or not to uh, eventually, someday in the future, roll out their digital yen. But it's not their intention to do it anytime soon, to roll it out, because you know that people in Japan are still much more reliant on, on using uh, physical uh, coins and notes than people in China. So this is why the Bank of Japan doesn't want to want to try to impose the digital yen yet, because the mentality is different. In China, on the other hand, people are already like, very used to paying uh, by using uh, WeChat Pay, Alipay. So mentality-wise, it's easier in China to, to roll out a digital yuan because it's not such a big change for, for people. Whereas in the country like Japan, well, Mentally speaking, maybe this change would be bigger. And there is uh, one more project in Asia called the uh, Product Ava, 
uh, which is uh, between Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. I'm not going to dwell on this one though for much uh, longer. I just wanted to make a brief mention to this one uh, because Project ABBA, unlike the other projects that I told you, unlike the Digital One or the tests in Japan and Korea, Project ABBA was a wholesale CBDC uh, test. And as you uh, saw before in the first slide, uh, CBDCs may be of two kinds, uh, retail and wholesale. This was a wholesale test. It was well, this test um, done to try uh, two different things. Uh, they wanted to test, first of all, whether it was feasible or not for the central banks of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to uh, deploy eventually a CBDC for interbank um, clearing uh, payment settlements. And also, in second place, they wanted to test whether it was feasible or not to do so by using blockchain technology. And actually, the results exceed their expectations. They concluded by saying that uh, it was feasible to issue this wholesale CBDC in the future. And they also concluded by saying that blockchain technology was actually like a great technology for use, much better than they expected. So that's what they did. Um, they started in January 2019, and they issued their final project ABA report this uh, last year, 2020, in November. And as you can see here, uh, this project included the central banks of both countries, as well as uh, three commercial banks from each one of the two countries. So finally, we go to, to maybe the most uh, interesting part for you, which is a digital drug. And well, who knows, maybe some of you have already actually used the digital drug before in some of those uh, tests in Shenzhen, those, uh, some of those lottery and massive giveaways. Uh, I don't know if anyone of you had the opportunity of using already digital drug, but I mean, even for those of you who didn't, you're going to use it like uh, much more often after next year because China's idea, China's intention is to roll out its digital yuan throughout China next year by the Beijing Olympi Winter Olympic Games in 2022. So, and I think that this uh, deadline is actually going to be met based on how fast and well the tests are going uh, thus far. As I said before, the tests started uh, in April last year after six years of research, because the research started in 2014. So as you can see, doing research in a CBDC, rolling it out, testing it before, before rolling it out, it's not something that happens like overnight. It requires like uh, years of uh, research and then efforts. It's not uh, something that simple. The tests, as I said, started in those uh, four cities that I mentioned before, as in Chengdu and Xiongan, and are currently being extended to other areas, including uh, Hong Kong and Macau. One of the main uh, ideas uh, to me behind this Yuan is to try to um, well, increase China's influence uh, throughout the world. When I say influence, I mean uh, when it comes to, to trying to challenge to some extent uh, the US dollar position. Uh, the RMB has always had uh, one key issue, and it's the fact that the RMB is a non convertible currency. And being a non convertible currency makes it very difficult for the RMB to compete with the US dollar. So, the digital one is not going to uh, solve this convertibility issue, but it's going to, to be used, or, or China expects to use it, uh, for cross-border payments to some extent. So, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, the, the RMB is going to become like the world's number one currency, like in one year in two, no, that's not going to happen because the US is like already like a very strong currency, which has been used as, a, as like the number one currency for decades. So, I'm not saying that this is going to change. But at least it is to try to challenge this a bit. 
China is moving towards that direction like clearly. I mean, since I started doing research on this topic and giving talks about that, I, I said that China's main rationale was that one. But I mean, I said that because that's what I thought. But at the same time, objectively speaking, uh, well, maybe it might not have been that clear. But I think that China's latest moves show us that uh, China's uh, real intention is actually that one. Because, for example, we recently saw China, or actually People's Bank of China, teaming up with SWIFT to try to, to internationalize the use of the digital grant. So that's one clear move towards that direction that I mentioned. We also saw China, as I'm going to explain later, signing in mid-November the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership Free Trade Agreement, which is going to create this huge free trade area where China can try to, to rule out, uh, to roll out sorry, its, um, its digital yuan, uh, at least to some extent. So there are many different uh, news coming from China that shows us, that shows us that, to me, the, the idea is that one, not the main rationale behind China. The digital yuan structured on a two-tier monetary system. No? So there is uh, the central bank, People's Bank of China, um, issuing the digital grant to commercial banks, and then those commercial banks, on a second level, issuing it to the general public. The CFP, or digital grant, has the uh, well, same as CBDCs, uh, many advantages. Uh, when it comes just to China, well, it's going to allow China, of course, to cut down and money printing uh, costs. And that's obvious if you print less uh, notes, you spend less money on printing notes. No, but aside from that, uh, it's also going to help China to control or minimize its shadow banking system, which, as you know, has been like a well, pretty big nightmare for, for China's regulators from the past, uh, let's say, two decades. And then it's also going to allow China, as I said before, to create this important um, soft uh, power tool uh, when it comes to, to trying to expand uh, the use of the, the RMB globally for, um, for international transactions. And now, in like uh, one minute, I'm going to try to make some references to uh, DCP in shadow banking. As you all know, uh, China's financial system has had some issues these last decades. And one of the biggest issues for me has been uh, what we um, call uh, shadow banking. Shadow banking is not something that we only have in China. Shadow banking is everywhere. It's also in the US. Well, in, in Europe, actually, shadow banking was largely behind the uh, 2008 uh, global financial crisis. So, I mean, as you can see, this idea is like everywhere. But in China, the size of its shadow banking system has been much bigger than in other countries. And this has been so because it's been quite difficult in China these last decades for small and medium enterprises to have access to, to proper credit. Because commercial banks tended to, to give credit to, well, to big uh, public companies, etc. So, I mean, this prompted these smaller companies to access uh, parallel ways of finance, you know, such as, for example, uh, those P2P platforms offering credit, or even the very same traditional banks in China offered some aside from offering the regulated products, offered some non-regulated products aside from the regulated ones. For example, the wealth management products, WMPs, which are uh, same as all shadow banking products, non-regulated. It doesn't mean that they are illegal because they are not illegal per se, they are non-regulated, which is like, um, well, very dangerous you know, because there is a huge systemic risk for any financial system. And the digital yuan is going to some extent to allow China to tackle this issue much, much better. Even though I must say that the Chinese shadow banking system has not maybe been such a big issue these last two, three years compared to before. But still, 
anything that helps China control its um, financial system much better is something that needs to be welcomed. Because as you saw in my uh, second slide, CBDCs can be used, it's one of the possible motivations and purposes, for uh, controlling much more efficiently any, uh, any uh, monetary system and financial system. So, moving forward, how's digital demand working uh, so far? Well, you can see here some like news uh, from what's been happening since last May. I'm not going to stop on each one of them because you, I'm sure that you read all of those on the media. Uh, I think the most important part is um, basically we talk about the tests in Hong Kong and Macau, as well as the massive giveaways in Shenzhen, Suzhou. Those are like the latest news that you need to, to put your, your focus on. Well, as I said before, uh, China is planning to uh, properly uh, deploy its uh, rolling out its uh, digital yuan by the Winter Olympic Games in, in Beijing next year. It's kind of easier to do that in China than in other countries because, um, as you can see, uh, Chinese people are really like very used to, to paying by using uh, their cell phones, by using WeChat Pay, and pay on this uh, payment platform. So it's kind of easier in a country with such a tech habit to put it this way, uh, people to to well, to ask them to to use uh, a digital CBDC rather than doing so in countries where people are still like much more reliant on on uh, physical coins and, and notes. So, uh, well, that's the most important parts. I'm skipping those because, um, well, this one makes reference to Shenzhen, and I think it's important for you. Uh, so, two months ago in January, the Cultural Bank of China in, in Shenzhen wrote out uh, ATMs, uh, a few of them, allowing customers to convert their bank savings or cash to digital yuan on their smartphones and vice versa. So, I'm mentioning that because, uh, well, first of all, it was the first digital gun test involving ATMs, first of all, and secondly, because those, those tests were uh, done in, in Shenzhen, so that's why I think it's important to highlight those. Also, this part is quite important as well. Uh, even though China started to test digital gun as April and May, those tests have uh, gradually been increasing when it comes to the, to the amount of people and money involved. So, um, for example, if last May and April, May, uh, well, April, May, June, what China did was mostly to pay, for example, the salaries of some civil servants in Suzhou with the digital land, but that was all. And then, for example, they asked uh, well, McDonald's, Starbucks to start accepting digital land. And those were like very limited tests. Those tests began to be much uh, wider last October. They started with a lottery in Shenzhen where 50,000 people were given uh, 10 million RMB in total to use in certain shops in Luohu district in Shenzhen. So that was the first uh, digital yuan lottery or giveaway. Uh, the, the latest ones uh, took place uh, in January, just before the Lunar New Year. And some of them actually, like for example, the one in Chengdu, involved as, well, as many people as one quarter million people and as much money as 50 million RMB. So as you can see, China is gradually increasing the, well, the the extent of their tests. However, no matter how many people get involved in those tests and how much uh, money, those tests have always been so far domestic tests for retail payments. This is why the tests in Hong Kong and Macau are becoming so important because those are going to allow China to test the digital one in a different environment, in an environment where the goal is going to test how digital one 
is going to work for cross-border payments. And this one is going to be basic, this part, because as I said before, to me, the main purpose of China when deploying digital yuan is precisely to use it for cross-border transactions. So this is why, even though the tests so far in mainland China have been, of course, uh, successful and very important, I think it's it's now in the test start in Hong Kong where when we are actually going to see whether digital yuan is as well, strong and important as, as it looks to be. The tests in Hong Kong uh, haven't started yet, but uh, according to a statement published in December by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, the HKMA was finishing the technical preparations alongside the People's Bank of China to start uh, testing it in Hong Kong uh, as soon as possible. So I reckon the tests are going to start uh, very soon in Hong Kong and quite likely uh, very soon thereafter in Macau as well. Just a uh, few final remarks before moving to the GBA part. There are two main features uh, that uh, BCP has uh, that need to be uh, um, highlighted. First of all, BCP, the digital yuan, is going to support offline payments. This is very important. And also, as you can see here, the transaction speed of BCP is much higher than that one, for example, of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Yen. Uh, Yen used to be called Libra, but they rebranded it. It's uh, this. Um, well, project led by Facebook, which aims to uh, want to create this uh, this uh, new digital currency consisting of a basket of uh, currencies, etc. So that's that's the end. Then one more uh, question that I need to address in here. Many people ask me like initially, like um, how is the digital yuan going to coexist with existing payment apps in China? Because I mean, we weren't sure whether China was going like to to use their own uh, payment apps to replace uh, WeChat Pay, Alipay, etc., to replace those, to compete with them and eventually replace them, or whether they were going to um, well, to cooperate. So it looks like uh, China has chosen the cooperation part. So basically, uh, the digital uh, yuan is going to integrate as well in those existing uh, payment apps, which means that uh, aside, for example, aside from you being able to use the, let's say, the Agricultural Bank of China app to use the digital yuan, you are also going to be able to use WeChat Pay or Alipay to make transactions in digital yuan. So it's not here to replace those payment apps, and that according to, to what was reported a few weeks ago. And I think that's an important part of you for you and in China. So uh, before finishing my presentation, I'm going to very briefly analyze what opportunities um, this Dunyan brings to Shenzhen and the GBA. Well, when it comes to Shenzhen, I would uh, mainly say that um, the opportunities are the same than for those other cities in mainland China, for the rest of mainland China. And as of today, though, uh, there are more opportunities in the sense that Shenzhen is one of the four initial cities where it's being tested. So that's always, of course, an opportunity. But I think that the opportunities are going to be the same advantages that. that well, the whole of China is going to, to experience the digital yuan, no? But aside from that, well, Shenzhen will have some extra opportunities because of its involvement in the GBA in Greater Bay Area. And that's why I need to talk now a bit about uh, Hong Kong, Macau, and the rest of the GBA. Focusing now on Hong Kong and Macau, it's important to remark that this digital yuan is not going to replace the Hong Kong dollar or the patak in Macau. This is important because some people think that. Uh, it might be there to replace the Hong Kong dollar, the Pataka. No, it's nothing like that. It's going to be like a, a complementary in the same way that the, the RMB is complementary now. 
uh, it's going to be used as a bit for, for cross-border payments, for cross-border transactions, but it's not going to be there to replace uh, the Hong Kong dollar or anything like that. So, for example, talking about Hong Kong, which is um, your neighbor city, uh, Hong Kong could benefit in three uh, different uh, ways, uh, which you can see here. Uh, Hong Kong is one of the world's most important financial hubs as part of the GDMDRI and as part of this RCP free trade agreement. As part of the GDMDRI, well, um, it's pretty much as like I said before, Hong Kong could leverage its position to, to target uh, many countries uh, throughout the world. And I can say, though, for uh, any of you uh, attending my talk or not, from China or in China, if there is anyone now who's not in China. The GDA is actually a huge project, the Greater Bay Area. It's so huge that it's like a very appreciated in China, of course, but many people abroad do not uh, actually know, do not grasp the idea of what the GDA means. But what it means is it's actually huge. The GDA, I mean, grouping is like a, a massively great idea, no? So that's why, uh, I mean, it's nothing like, um, well, uh, minor, no, we talk about the GDA, I'm talking about a massive project that is going well so far and which is going to allow, well, uh, many opportunities, going to bring many opportunities to all the cities involved because it precisely tries to, well, to, to focus on each different city's uh, prowess or skills, you know, like for example, uh, Hong Kong is going to bring to the GDA its uh, financial expertise, it's one of the world's most, most important financial hubs. Shenzhen is going to bring its uh, it's tech expertise it's, it's, since Shenzhen is kind of become like uh, China's uh, Silicon Valley. So it is a massive project and, and Hong Kong, as well as Shenzhen and um, Macau should leverage its involvement in the GDA when it comes as well to tackling the opportunities that the digital line is going to offer. Then uh, Hong Kong, for example, is one of the world's uh, most important financial hubs. Well, there is no doubt that Hong Kong is one of the world's most important financial hubs, that's for sure. And there is no doubt that uh, Hong Kong and Shenzhen actually like benefit each other in many ways because, as I said, Hong Kong has this uh, well financial expertise and deniable one, and Shenzhen has all this tech expertise. I mean, most uh, companies like Shenzhen, etc., are domiciled in, in Shenzhen, have their HQs in there, but it's not just that, it's just a, it's a fact that uh, Shenzhen is becoming like Chinese Silicon Valley, you know. So, Hong Kong and then Shenzhen may benefit one another, and being Hong Kong, one of the of the world's most important financial hubs also will allow, we also allow Shenzhen to, to benefit from that circumstance. Related to that, for example, last year, uh, the former uh, HKMA chief executive, uh, Norman Chan Taklam, proposed uh, creating a new regional digital currency based on, on the, consisting of the Hong Kong dollar, uh, China's uh, yuan, uh, Japan's uh, yen, and South Korea's won. This is just a project, but still, if eventually uh, brought into a practice, uh, it might be interesting as well, because, well, as I said before, the HMA is already working on, on more than one CBDC uh, process. And the last uh, thing that I want to mention in here makes reference to the ERC, to the RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, which is that free trade agreement which was signed last November 15. Composed, as you can see here, of 15 countries and creating this huge free trade area encompassing like uh, almost 30% of the global economy and reaching like more than 2 billion, billion consumers. So as you can see, it's a huge uh, free trade agreement, which will create a huge free trade area and ensure that uh, based on China's uh, latest uh, movements, uh, China is going to try to leverage this uh, free trade area to try to expand to some extent their uh, digital uh, 
that pretty much concludes my talk. Just uh, before finishing, uh, let me provide you a few uh, conclusions. Uh, as I said before, BCP or Digital Yuan proves to be viable. China will become the first major economy to introduce a CBDC. Major, remember this part, major economy because the Bahamas did so already. Many other countries, I said, will follow China's lead. Well, I mean, this is true, even though, as you all know, China did not invent CBDCs, so I'm not implying that China created the concept or of CBDCs, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying here is that China, being so advanced, has undoubtedly prompted other countries to want to start doing research much uh, sooner than expected and maybe to try to do it faster than expected. Because, well, I mean, it's undeniable that this is a concern for other people. Uh, this morning, for example, I was cited in an uh, article published by the South China Morning Post, where where they analyze precisely this topic, how the US is now starting to want to show interest on the digital US dollar, while before they they didn't do so. But it's China being so advanced that has somehow uh, well, prompt people or countries to, to try at least to test their own CBDCs because well, there is this concern that uh, maybe they shouldn't leave China being the only major economy uh, who has like uh, deployed a CBDC, whereas they are just like uh, years behind. So that's that's the rationale behind these movements from other countries. So without further ado, this concludes my, my talk. Uh, thank you very much for attending this talk, which I tried to make as brief as possible. And right now, uh, as I said before, let's move to the Q&A session. Feel free to ask me like anything, uh, feel free to speak up, to do it in the chat. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Cadabia. This is a fascinating topic. There is so much happening, not just within China, but also the cross-border aspects that you referred to. Uh, so indeed, the floor is now open for questions. Uh, but just as we ask for a question, uh, Oriol, perhaps I could ask you to say a little bit more about one of the features of central bank digital currencies, uh, which is the programmability of these currencies and, and why programmability is so important from a policy perspective and from a regulatory perspective. Sure. It's important uh, because, um, I mean, until today, you couldn't like add any special feature to your coin and note. You could use, of course, your monetary policy you know, to, uh, let's say, uh, try to reduce inflation, etc., etc. But that was more like a monetary policy tool. I mean, per se, you couldn't. Uh, add any feature to your note because a note is nothing else like a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper that you like uh, decide to uh, to give like a, a value to it, no? because there is a central bank giving a value to it, etc. But the, the thing is that, uh, I mean, it's just a piece of metal or paper, nothing else but that. But uh, as I said before, so this is a programmable, which means that uh, those payment tokens uh, or digital fiat uh, can have like those specific uh, features you know, and attributes uh, built into the token itself. How is this going to be used in practice um, by each country? Well, that's hard to know as of today because, I mean, to be honest, like the only country whose CBDC is very advanced is, is China. So it's, we cannot like uh, assume that uh, Europe will do like a certain thing and the United States another one. But this is a clear proof, though, that CBDCs um, are not like a broad category. So I mean, in other words. We cannot assume that the digital yuan is going to be like the digital euro or the digital uh, US dollar, for example, no? because just because they are CBDCs, yes, they will be CBDCs, but despite being a CBDC, 
technically speaking, they might be very different in the future because the attributes, the characteristics are like, um, well, added you know, to, to them uh, will be different according to each uh, central bank. How different? Well, that's going to depend, of course, on each central bank's uh, policy and uh, interests. Uh, so, I mean, I guess, for example, that uh, if a certain central bank wants to deploy its uh, digital its CBDC to tackle one specific issue of the financial system, like, for example, um, the first example that came out of my mind, let's say Turkey. Turkey, um, uh, you know, Turkey has been having this well, big issues these last few years with their uh, currency, the leader, whose price has, uh, whose price has dropped like enormously. Like, I think it was like over uh, 30% in one year ish. Uh, so, in that case, um, the Central Bank of Turkey, which is working on their CBDC now, might, for example, this is just an assumption that I'm making. I mean, I'm not saying that this is real, but might, in that case, be interested, for example, in programming or designing their CBDC in a specific way that makes it easier for that CBDC to tackle uh, these uh, this, uh, this issues, you know, these uh, depreciation issues. So in that case, uh, that CBDC might be probably more um, for, for those monetary policy purposes. Whereas, for example, um, in some other cases, uh, like let's say, for example, eventually some data on the edge deploys its own CBDC, that part uh, might not be as important as in Turkey. They decide to put their focus on, on what I said before about financial inclusion. So this idea of being able to, to add or remove the technical uh, features characteristics, this is what makes CBDC so so fascinating, no? And this is what makes CBDC as well so confusing to some people, no? Because people are used to, to think of uh, well, money uh, as a, a bank note or coin. And when they think of cryptocurrencies, yes, they think of those uh, features, but to them, this is like the crypto world. And well, having a kind of central bank money that allows you as well to, well, to program it, to act and remove features, like people do maybe with cryptos, but without being cryptos, this is what makes it so so fascinating and yet so so confusing sometimes for for, for people who start to read about this topic or analyze uh, this area. Indeed, and you mentioned of course monetary policy, which is a famously blunt instrument. But uh, with CBDCs, suddenly policymakers have the ability to make very targeted policy interventions in respect of currency, which is uh, which is fascinating. Of course, there are also risks uh, in respect of that. Now, as I I don't see any questions yet, I will take the liberty of, of asking one more myself. You've already sure, mentioned sure. Uh, some of the differences between CBDCs and cryptocurrency in respect of centralization compared to decentralization. Um, another difference which occurred to me is, that, of course, cryptocurrencies, uh, the word crypto comes from the Greek word to hide or to, uh, to make something hidden. Uh, whereas, of course, with CBDCs, one would assume, perhaps I'm wrong, that there is not the same element of the anonymity of the user. So is, is this a factor and, and would this result in the currencies being used differently uh, by the average consumer? Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, well, actually, there's something that I forgot to mention before, it's about digital assets, but going back to what you said now, that's completely right. I mean, cryptocurrencies, it's true, right? crypto comes from, from the Greek, and the idea is a one to, to hide. I'm not saying though that uh, the people who use cryptocurrencies um, hide because um, all of them do shady activities. It's not like that anymore because actually I was reading a report which said that um, if initially 10 years ago, 35% uh, of crypto transactions were somehow related to 
let's say, uh, not very clean activities, right now this has decreased to 0.04%. So I'm not saying that people who use cryptos or, or anything like that need to do it for shady purposes, but it is true though that the idea in cryptocurrencies is that one, no? to, to not be controlled, no? to, to try to avoid uh, being controlled as much as possible. Whereas the idea behind this is actually the opposite. I mean, it's, it's legal tender, no? it's central bank money. So this idea of control is, of course, much uh, bigger. And this is why, actually, uh, CBDCs are raising some privacy issues, especially in the West. I mean, it's Asia, in Asia, it's not such a big issue because you know that people in the West tend to be a bit more uh, prone to worry about privacy. So it's more a concern in Europe and the United States than in Asia. But it's true that there are many people concerned about this lack of uh, privacy, which, I mean, it doesn't need to be a concern if it's uh, well done and well uh, designed. No, I mean, I don't think that uh, CBCs are there to, to control people. I think it's more about controlling themselves, the financial system. Because, for example, I was reading a couple of months ago that uh, the Bank of England, uh, England's a central bank, admitted that they lost track of, I think it was more than six million worth, um, um, six million pounds worth uh, notes. So basically, they issued those notes, those bank notes, but they didn't know where they went. They, they completely lost track of those. So I mean, it's not very efficient for a well, for a central bank and a financial system to issue millions of your currency and lose track of, of them. No? So a CBDC is, of course, going to tackle this issue, no? because it, I mean, it's going to be impossible for a central bank to issue a CBDC and lose track of where it is now, because it's always going to be well, easily like a traceable. Uh, regarding this, I also think that there is one more difference between CBDCs and cryptocurrencies that I didn't mention before, but this one is important. It's the fact that uh, a CBDC per se is a legal tender, it's a currency, whereas cryptocurrencies are um, digital assets. But until today, it's very difficult for people to use a cryptocurrency to pay anything directly. It's true, though, that now in the US, uh, PayPal has started to, uh, to support cryptos in their system, same as uh, MasterCard, etc. That's true, but still, we need to think of CBDCs more like a well, like the traditional money we already use, but simply digitally to do the same things. Why we need to think of cryptocurrencies more as an investment? I mean, so far cryptos are that. I mean, people invest in Bitcoin, they invest in, in Ethereum because they want to have like a higher return. But we don't need to think of cryptocurrencies as an actual currency that you use to make payments. Because I mean, you all know that whenever you want to come to use a cryptocurrency. And convert it into fiat currency, well, it's a hassle, you know, because you need to go to one of those exchange platforms, convert the cryptocurrency into fiat currency, then you need to get the fiat currency from there to make payments. You may find uh, tax issues because you need to prove to, to the, your tax authority where that came from. So it's not simple to do that. It's possible, but not simple. So that's why cryptos are more like more kind of digital asset, more like an investment, while CBDCs are more like the, the money that we already use like, on our daily basis. So that's why, uh, that's a lot of difference. Indeed. And just one final question from me, and I have to ask this because, of course, digital currencies have been one of the biggest financial stories of the year so far globally. Uh, recently, there has been some speculation in the financial media that uh, China's digital yuan is actually a threat to cryptocurrencies. The, the theory is that it will suck liquidity away from stable coins and, and eventually from from cryptocurrencies in general. What is your view on the relationship between, on the one hand, the creation of the digital yuan and perhaps behind it other digital currencies from central banks, 
And on the other hand, what is going to happen with this uh, very dramatically developing cryptocurrency markets that we've all been seeing in recent times? Well, uh, when it comes to China, I don't think it's going to be such a threat because um, China per se is already adopting a top approach you know, towards uh, cryptocurrencies. So, I mean, I don't think that the digital yuan is going to, to let's say, kill the cryptocurrency market in China because uh, cryptocurrency trading platforms in China are already like uh, prohibited. So, in that sense, um, I don't think at all that, uh, that China deployed the digital yuan to fight against cryptos because they didn't need to do so. I mean, they simply passed those uh, ICO rules in 2018 and, well, you know, crypto trading platforms became automatically. Uh, prohibited. So um, in, in the case of China, I think the, the reasons are like different, or what I said before, uh, cross-border payments, etc. But when it comes to our countries, it's true that even though I said before that CBCs may coexist perfectly well with cryptocurrencies, I think that the rationale behind some other central banks might perfectly be to try to avoid prohibiting crypto cryptocurrencies or crypto trading platforms, but to try to, to to lessen their importance by, uh, by well, competing with them with their CBDCs. But the thing is, uh, as I said before, I think that both uh, are like different countries, different areas. I don't think that just because, uh, let's say, um, the European Union or the Eurozone deploys its uh, digital euro, people are going to stop buying cryptos. People who are buying cryptos. I mean, they, I don't think that's going to happen automatically because each country responds to a different reality. You know? I mean, you use your CBDC to, to make payments, for instance, your normal day-to-day -day currency, whereas some people invest in cryptos because they want to get a return. So I don't think that automatically CBDCs are going to like, destroy or kill the crypto trading platforms and crypto markets. I don't think that's going to happen, but of course, it might be one of the, the ideas or rationales behind some central banks you know, to try to, to diminish the importance of, um, of uh, cryptocurrencies. It's true, as you mentioned now, that cryptocurrencies are booming, are thriving throughout the world. And I think that uh, one of the main reasons behind that is the fact that we've uh, been seeing uh, institutional investors tapping into this market uh, because until uh, half a year ago, um, it was mostly like a well, um, retail investors invested in cryptos and even bigger investors, but it was like more of like, let's say, anonymous people. But after um, September, October, we started to see, like, as I said before, like um, PayPal in the US and MasterCard, DBS in Singapore, Tesla, you know, all those big companies like tapping into this market, which has been one of the main reasons of this uh, surge in the price of uh, cryptocurrencies. I think that uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, from a regulatory perspective, have like many, well, many, many issues or many things that need to be correctly addressed. While uh, CBDCs in that sense are much more uh, simple because CBDCs uh, being central bank money do not require for much, uh, for, for many regulations. I mean, you simply need to make sure, like China in October, for example, that your central bank laws uh, make reference to the fact that uh, your um, you're right. Because fiat currency can also be digital, and China already did that. They amended their People's Bank of China law and added that the digital yuan is China's legal tender, both in its physical and digital version. They made that amendment in October, so in that sense, legally speaking, they are covered. And aside from that, we need to, well, in mind some privacy issues, etc. But it's not very tricky regulatory from a regulatory perspective. You know, it's CBDC. While cryptocurrencies, they pose many more uh, threats, questions. I don't mean that they 
necessarily need to be prohibited or, I mean, I'm not saying that, but it's true that there are many issues when it comes to compliance, financial crime prevention, many more issues that need to be tackled. And this is why I guess some countries are a bit more reluctant towards cryptocurrencies because it's undeniable that there are many issues behind it. So let's take one final question. I see one uh, is asking for the floor and then we'll conclude. Thanks. Thanks for your wonderful presentation, but it's still a bit, I cannot have the whole meaning of the, the, the topic. But I'm still worried about, because there are uh, some opinion that the, the digital currency, you know, is kind of uh, inflates or hurts some personal privacy, you know, because if you use the digital currency, everything you use, every time you use in your consumer consumption, it will be recorded by bank or by government. So what's your opinion about that? Personally, I'm not that concerned as many people about civil system privacy. I know this is a big issue in the West, especially, but uh, I mean, it's true that uh, a government, a central bank, could track like your all your payments, etc. But isn't it possible though to do it now as well? I mean, do we really need a CBDC to to like to be tracked? I mean, every time we make transactions, as I said before, like a very large amount of the transactions that we make are already uh, digitally based. I mean, whenever we use our digital banking app, uh, we we use a credit card to pay. Uh, those can be traced as well. I mean, your tax authorities, etc., can trace those. So, yes, I mean, I know there are privacy concerns that will need to be addressed. I know that this is one hot topic, especially in the West when it comes to CBDCs. And even many people ask me, like, oh, I mean, people here in the West, they ask me, like, uh, are we going to be keep track of all the movements? Well, I don't know, but uh, governments can already do that to some extent. Uh, we, Tax authorities can ask your bank to provide you with uh, well, your information if they have any doubts about uh, whether you try to, you know, to, to lie to them in your tax statement. They can ask them for, for all your information, etc. So, yes, and maybe it's going to be a more direct way to provide uh, your central bank government with information about the payments that you make and you know, make and how you make those, etc. But, I mean, let's face it. Um, every time you use a credit card or you get paid or you make a transfer, that's recorded anyway. And that information can be seen get by, by your bank and then be passed to the tax authorities, etc. So privacy-wise, yes, there are concerns, but you can be tracked anyway uh, right now. So uh, yes, I mean, I guess this is why so many people use cryptocurrencies. Even, I mean, even before the creation of CBDCs, people already use cryptos and they, they did that because they wanted not to be controlled, which means that people could be already controlled without creating a CBDC. So I don't see privacy issues like a, uh, like a huge block no, uh, for, for countries when it comes to deploying CBDCs. I simply feel like countries need to be aware of those uh, issues and, and try to regulate those as, as well as they can. But I don't think that um, countries should stop rolling out CBDCs and people should stop using them because of those issues. Because as I said, uh, you can be controlled um, in, in some other ways. And that's, this is why people who like, do not want to be controlled in any way, well, they went to, to those, uh, to, this, to this DeFi, decentralized finance uh, world, no? which has some other issues, but the issue of being controlled is not there, but it has some other issues. So, uh, I mean, the, the issues, the privacy issues or concerns, of course, are going to be there, but to me, they're not as important as, as some people uh, think. 
Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Cavalier. You've, you've given us a lot to think about. This is a very quickly developing field and uh, it's been a fascinating discussion, so thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. It's my pleasure.